0: They tried, my Lord and Master. That's such a powerful song that we just sang. And this evening, I want to point out that last Sunday evening, we talked about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As you begin to think about what lessons we study and ought to study, I look back through the lessons that I preached and realize that I had not preached on the betrayal, the arrest, and the trials of Jesus in quite some time. And I felt like this is something that deserves more attention than it receives. And so last week the lesson was on the suffering of Jesus in the garden, his agony and the arrest that took place. Tonight's lesson will focus on his trials and his death. The reason being is I think this needs to be real to us. It doesn't need to appear to be just some story we read in a book. This is real. It really happened to our Lord, and we need to see it in all its ugliness and for all that it did. I think it's important also for us to focus on Jesus enduring this for our benefit when the writer of the book of Hebrews said in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste of death for every man or every one." You and I need to realize it was our sins that put Jesus on that cross. It was our sins that caused him to have to suffer this humiliating death. So what we're going to do is, like last week, we're just going to have two points. We're going to talk about the six trials that Jesus went through. And I want you to see each of them as we progress through this. And then I want to talk about the sentence of death that was pronounced upon him. I tried to prepare a chart that I thought would help us see it from more than one perspective There were two phases of the trials of Jesus. There was first the Jewish phase that dealt with a religious matter, and then there was the civil trial that dealt with that from the perspective of the Roman government. But when you think about the religious trial that took place first under the Jews, there were three of those under Annas, then under Caiaphas, and then before the whole Jewish Sanhedrin. We need to think about what occurred at each of those, that there was, it's okay for Jesus to die, that he's guilty, deserving of death, the sentence of death upon him. But when you get to the Roman trial and you have three again, you have before Pilate, then before Herod, and before Pilate again, and all three of those conclude that Jesus was not guilty. Not guilty. So for just a few minutes... I want to give you an idea of what took place, where it took place, to give you some kind of an appreciation. This is a photograph of the model of Jerusalem during the time of Jesus. If you're standing what would be on the Mount of Olives looking at the city and you see the Temple Mount to your right, you'll see just the edge of the temple there, on that southern hillside there is where the High priest Caiaphas lived. You'll see an arrow pointed toward it. In fact, you'll see an arrow pointing toward some steps. And if you get a little bit closer, you can see those steps. And even a little bit closer, you see those steps still exist today. In fact, I took this photo from the Mount of Olives. I wanted to be able to use it for the purpose of this kind of class. And you can see right in the middle of those steps the Catholics have built a church building over the top of Caiaphas's house now. And in fact, if you go in there, there will be a sign going down to the basement area. And then as you go a little bit further, it's called the sacred pit or the dungeon. And it would have been where Jesus is, would have been incarcerated as he was taken to Caiaphas's house. There's an area where the guards would have stood, and then you can go down all the way to the bottom and those are not prisoners there. Those, in fact, are some of the people who go to church here. I know you can see Larry and Zella real easily. Brother Willard is there as well as uh, Sister Jane's right in the middle up there. But that's likely where Jesus would have been taken. That's likely where he would have been held as he was taken to Caiaphas's house. And you have to visualize this happened at night. And you have to realize there might have been very little light in that area. For just a few minutes, let's think about those six trials. And what we're going to do is we're going to compare Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to look at those accounts. And we'll take various passages to look at them. First, before Annas, John 18, verses 13 and 14. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year? Now, it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, for those of you who might not know, Annas was the high priest. He had been deposed by the Roman government. Caiaphas' son in law had been put in his place. That wasn't God's will, that wasn't God's law. But you have to understand during this period of time there's a lot of political maneuvering that's going on and yet the people still recognized Annas as being that leader and so that's the reason why he goes first to Annas. Annas is willing to send him on to his son-in-law because Caiaphas has already said it's expedient for one to die. Jesus is going to be that one that's going to die for what they believe is the good of the people After that, Jesus is led to Caiaphas. John 18, verse 24, Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Matthew's account picks up in chapter 26, verse 57. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed at a distance to the high priest courtyard. And he went in, and he sat down with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under an oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you that hereafter, You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes saying, He has spoken blasphemy. Look, what further need do we have witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face, beat him. Others struck him with the palms of their hands saying, prophesy to us Christ who is the one who struck you I want you to visualize now Caiaphas has assembled a group of people at his house in his courtyard and now he has a Mickey Mouse trial if you want to call it that it's certainly not a legal one it certainly did not follow Jewish law And certainly you realize that there was not credible witnesses and so it would have violated the scriptures as well. But they, because they had their minds already made up, had decided that Jesus must die. But now there's a third trial that takes place that Luke records in chapter 22. Notice with me here now. As soon as it was day... The elders of the people, both the chief priests, scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. And then they all said to him, are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said to him, What further need of testimony do we need? For we have heard from ourselves from his own mouth. You see, they're really following what they had already done at Caiaphas' house. They're just trying to make it official now. They've waited till it's early morning. They've waited till it's daytime so they can have an official proclamation of his being worthy of death. See, here's a problem, though they know that the Roman authorities will not permit them to put Jesus to death. So that leads us to the fourth aspect of it, and that is where Jesus will appear before Pilate. This time we go to John 18, beginning with verse 38. They led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Then Pilate said to them, "Take You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke. Signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking this for yourself? Or um, this, or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest had delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants should fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And he, when he had said this, he went out to the, again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Now you need to think about what just happened. You need to observe, Pilate is a reasonable man. He asked the Jews, why are you bringing him to me? Well, They said, if we wasn't an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Will you judge him then? You use your law. No, we want him put to death. Pilate knows this is serious. He asks questions like any proper judge would do, and he recognizes that Jesus is not making any sorts of claims such as they have accused him of. And so he says, I find no fault in him at all. See, Herod's like a lot of other politicians. He always looks for someone else to blame it on or to pass the buck to someone else, which leads us to Herod. Herod Antipas happened to be in town during this great feast. And so Luke in chapter 23 records, beginning with verse 6, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if this man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, He sent him to Herod, who was in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and hoped to see a miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt, mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. Now you think about Herod. He's not interested in Jesus other than to see him work a miracle. Oh, let's see him turn water to wine. Let's see him make a lame person walk. Let's see him do some kind of great miracle. Jesus wouldn't cooperate. He didn't cooperate with the Jews, nor is he going to cooperate with Herod. What did they do to him? Just like the Jews, they beat him. They mocked him. They made fun of him. And he said, I'm not going to deal with this. Like a good politician, he passed the buck again. Which leads us to the last part of the trial of Jesus. In Luke 23, verses 13 through 24, there is the big picture here of what's going to take place now. Pilate knows it's in his lap. He knows he has to deal with this. So Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, he said to them, you brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I find no fault in the man concerning the things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent him back to him, and indeed, he has done nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried at once saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who has been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate therefore wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I find no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. The voices of these men and the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence. That it should be as they requested. Do you see what Pilate said over and over and over again? Jesus was not guilty. He didn't deserve to die. Imagine what Jesus endured during that period of time. But now Pilate is given the sentence of death. He's told them, I will chastise him and release him and let him go. No, you're going to have to crucify him. What does it mean that he chastised him? Well, it means that the innocent was suffering for the guilty. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 22-24, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, but when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself... Bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live to righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. You see, he talks about Jesus's death, he talks about the stripes. There was an article that appeared in the Journal of the American Medical Association on March the twenty-first, nineteen eighty-six. It's an exceptional article written by a medical doctor, written by a biblical scholar. As they looked together and tried to write this article to present the suffering that Jesus endured. It's easily available today if you want a copy. I can see that you get a copy of it. What was interesting in that article, they looked at what Jesus would have suffered from the Roman perspective and what it would have done to the human body And so there was an illustration of how he would be tied to a pole and they would use a whip that had at the ends of it little pieces of bone and stones, anything sharp that could flay the skin. And this Roman soldier would take it and he would whip the back of Jesus, tearing it open. In fact, history records the way they did it. They came in arching in on the back to tear the flesh discouraging of Jesus. There's a picture of the cross. The cross involved at least two parts to it. There was the upright part that generally was left in the ground. The cross beam, if you will, the part which the body would be attached to was generally carried by the prisoner from where he would be sentenced to where he he would be actually crucified. And you see a picture of that cross tied to the arms of Jesus. I don't know about you, but if I picked up a piece of wood that large, it's usually rather heavy. But I want you to think, the Lord has already endured suffering through the night in his prayer in the garden, but he has also been beaten. And he falls under the stress and the strain of carrying that to the cross when you get to the cross, the Roman soldiers are going to put nails in generally they did not put that through the palm of the hand sometimes that's the the view that's held, but actually the word "hand can actually include the wrist, and that's where the nails would have been and Some of you had corporal tunnel syndrome. You talk about how painful that is. I want you to imagine a spike, not a nice smooth one, but a homemade spike being driven through that part of your body and the the agony and the pain that it would incur. Then also as they were driven through the feet, those nails would have attached the body. But there was a purpose for doing this because... It caused the person to slouch, and if in that position and the body being suspended, it makes it difficult for the rib cage to breathe properly. And so if a person wants to breathe, they have to push up on their feet and pull up on their hands to be able to get a good breath. Many of them died of suffocation because they were no longer able to push up and get a breath remember when it talks about their legs being broken that's the purpose of it to keep them from pushing up on it the actual putting to death occurred on a roman cross at a place called calvary or golgotha luke 23 verse 33 says and when they had come to the place called calvary they crucified him and the criminals one on the right hand and the other on the left John's account in John nineteen seventeen says, And he, bearing the cross, went out to a place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. John 19, verses 33 through 37. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, did not break his legs, And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. That Roman soldier pierced the side of Jesus. And blood and water came forth. In Mark's account, in Mark chapter 15, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion who stood opposite of him saw... That he cried out like this, and breathed his last, he said, "Truly this man was the Son of God." Luke 23:46 says, "And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, "Father, into your commands, hands, I commend my spirit." Having said this, he breathed his last too often. We don't want to think about suffering. It makes us feel uncomfortable. I remember a few years ago when the movie that was released called The Passion of the Christ showed the beating of Christ that took place. I wanted to fast forward through it. I wanted to look away. I didn't want to think about the suffering. I didn't want to see the suffering. But I need to. I need to see it either through reading the words of Scripture or at least put it visually in my mind. And yes, it needs to make me feel uncomfortable and it needs to make you feel uncomfortable. Why? Because Jesus took the punishment for us. He didn't deserve it. We did. Romans 15 and verse 3 says, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for him who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He didn't deserve it. We did. So when you see that beating that takes place, so when you see the nails being driven in his hands, say, he should not have been there. I should have been because of my sins. That should make us want to serve him all the more. You know, if we can take the message of the cross and put it before people's eyes, if they have hearts that are tender, hearts that can be reached, there's a message there that will move the hearts of godly people. Tonight, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? If you're not, why not choose to serve Him seeing what He did for you. You can believe in Him that He is the Son of God. You can repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him and be baptized, and you can then know that your sins are forgiven. You're added to the body of Christ. If you are a child of God and Folks, let's just admit it. Most of us find ourselves sometimes caught up in the web of sin, really sometimes not knowing what we need to do or how we need to do it. The Bible encourages us to confess our faults to one another and to pray for one another, James 5, verse 16. If that's your situation, let's pray together about it tonight. If you need to respond, please come as we stand and sing together.